This podcast is brought to you by DIA, the trusted global neutral forum for healthcare product development professionals. DIA, driving insights to action. In February 2022, the White House announced the reignition of the U.S. cancer moonshot. The cancer moonshot was launched in 2016 with an expert blue ribbon panel report, which provided several recommendations on how to dramatically advance cancer research and care in the U.S. The February announcement this year includes ambitious goals to reduce the death rate from cancer by at least 50% over the next 25 years and to improve the experience of people and their families living with and surviving cancer. I'm Alberto Grignolo, Editor-in-Chief of DIA Global Forum. Today, to discuss the recommendations of that 2016 report as a basis for the new ambitious goals of this year, we welcome Dr. Gary Kelloff, a special advisor for the Division of Cancer Treatment and Diagnosis at the National Cancer Institute, where he has worked for more than 40 years and authored more than 400 publications in cancer research. Gary has also served for many years as co-editor for Translational Science for DIA Global Forum. Gary, thank you very much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you. Gary, as we hear these new, very ambitious goals in 2022, I'd like to ask you to explain what has been done and what work is left to do on the four specific recommendations in the original Blue Ribbon Panel report that in 2016 triggered this moonshot in the first place. So let me go to the first question, which is, one of the goals was to develop a network for direct patient engagement. And it was stated in that report in 2016 as, quote, develop a federated large-scale patient participation network through which patients will be offered comprehensive tumor profiling, end of quote. Gary, what progress have you seen to date in this regard? Thank you, Alberto. Yes, I think the progress has been phenomenal in this complex area. I first wanted to thank the co-chairs of the Blue Ribbon Committee, Dr. Dina Singer, who's a colleague at NCI, and Tyler Jacks, MIT, and Elizabeth Jaffe at Hopkins, and 30 other very distinguished investigators. I just wanted to add my thanks for their effort and also for NCI colleagues, Aliyah Mechanic, uh, Tony Krilovich, Sean Hanlon, and Joanna Watson. They, they were very instrumental in, in terms of tracking and implementing this progress. So I just wanted to thank them before we uh, answer the, uh, the network question. I, I think originally the, the network it was intended to deliver big data collection more precisely to what works and in whom it works, the best scientific principles, data sharing, and, and in part is quite integrated with the ecosystem, which is our second subject, which provides the tools and the methodology to make this a reality. I think a lot of these goals have been delivered fairly well. The network is not so directly obvious to all that is the medical delivery community is fractionated into folks that see certain kinds of cancer. So you, you need several networks in order to cover the base that you want to. And of course, there's one network for pediatrics. There's one for rare CNS brain tumors. And then there's a more general networks that have been created. Together, these programs really support direct engagement of patients. Yeah, they fill uh, research gaps for survivors in local communities. And um, they represent underrepresented populations are included in including diversity in genomic studies and, and encounters contributing to health disparities. So it's representative of the population, but it also makes sure it covers certain things that have been underrepresented. 
Each program that have been created is bi-directional, mutually beneficial interaction with the patients. They're always included an integral part of all the phases. They help identify research priorities, design, conduct, and uptake of the research. Uh, and this research data is disseminated and their educational resources and individual and aggregate study results communicating health information through wor workshops and really social media. Gary, in practice, compared to 2016, are much larger number of patients able to access tumor profiling as the recommendation stated? Uh, I think a phenomenal amount of progress has been made. The work is in progress. I would say that even though the Blue Ribbon panel was 2016, in terms of getting up and running and getting these networks formed, you're talking 2017, 2018, to really get the people on the ground working. So in that light, the progress has been phenomenal. More to come, of course. We've learned in clinical cancer research, nothing is quick. <laughs> and by virtue of these efforts, things are, are going to be a lot quicker than they have been historically. Let's get to the second recommendation from the 2016 report, which was to create a national cancer data ecosystem for sharing and analysis. Have you seen any progress there? Yes, I think the progress there is also quite phenomenal. The panel was looking to provide patients, including from all racial and ethnic groups and underserved populations with useful knowledge. And over time, the ecosystem has vastly improved the efficiency of the nation's cancer research efforts. They're bringing powerful computational methods, vast amounts of data in an organized fashion to enable treatment decisions and prevention. I would say that if you wanted to see it in a, in a more straightforward way, I would say that the ecosystem is complementary to the other efforts and it provides the tools and methods to implement this sharing of large amounts of, of new data that's coming. And they have been uh, instrumental in creating this. A data coordinating center has been uh, reviewed. I'm not sure it's public in terms of the award, but there is a data coordinating center which will integrate all of this together. And they all have a data access portal where anybody with a computer and knowledge can access this. They obviously have to adhere to best practices they have to be aware of de-identifying and other things that would identify a patient. And so those are a lot of methodology issues. And certainly AI is coming and X-scale computing is coming. And these methods are being worked out and are very integral to this whole effort. Gary, to be clear, at least in my own head, are we talking about patient data, patients who are in care, electronic health records, for example, or are we talking about clinical trial data or both? When we talk about data ecosystem for sharing, what's being shared? Patient data, clinical yeah. trial data, both? So I would say both. There's some efforts where de novo clinical trials have been started. But in general, they're capturing the 90 plus percent of cancer patient data that is not in trials. They're capturing data that's going on every day with neighbors and, and everybody that we know about and standardizing this data and also this the retrospective analysis, which we'll talk about in a minute, is looking at outcomes in standardized records and, and allowing these tools to be created in a way with large amounts of data that can then be utilized. And given that this recommendation called for a national ecosystem, are all 
cancer centers in the United States included in this ecosystem? Are some of them maybe not yet included? I don't think it's 100% included. It was meant to be inclusive. A lot of times to get the very best science, the NCI will issue a request for application and then applications come in in, a, in large numbers. There's a lot of peer review of the quality of the applications. This peer review is generally conducted by an outside review committee so that there is not any institutional bias created. And in general, it's often hard to include 100% of everything that's going on out there. That having been said, this is more comprehensive than anything we've seen before. And there's a lot of access to data in institutions that are in smaller communities because of the facility that's being created by these useful and efficient tools. Understood. The third recommendation in 2016 was a retrospective analysis of biospecimens from patients treated with standard of care. Can you remind us, Gary, what was the goal of that recommendation and has this been done and what have we learned? Uh, again, because you start at time zero and do a prospective trial, you're often waiting a long time, a few years for even invasive disease. And if you're talking about early disease, you're talking even longer and larger. So the idea here was to aggregate and analyze big data and get more precise knowledge by taking proven cases uh, where the path specimens and outcome data is available in a way that's been standardized in a way that's then useful. And then you can then make inferences based on the outcome at the end. And by virtue of the access to the biopsies, you can look at which biomarkers work, which ones don't, what is the meaning of personalized medicine, how much diversity there is among cancer patients, say of one cancer type, say ovary, for example, where the diversity is quite impressive. So the retrospective analysis, if it does anything, it really gains a lot of time and it gains time by access to results that you would have to wait for if you did it in a prospective trial. We have colleagues at NCI who have written very extensively about what features of a retrospective trial would need to be available to you to avoid any systematic bias that you would otherwise get by prior randomization. So very interesting. And certainly the, the end result is to accelerate our knowledge. So do we have much more knowledge now than we did six years ago when the cancer moonshot was triggered? In other words, uh, are we learning more about precision medicine, how to treat specific tumor types? how to really leverage the knowledge from biospecimens, including genetic profiling, to inform better treatment decisions today than six years ago? I think the answer is yes. And I think a lot of it comes from the Genome Project. And then after that, the DCGA were, as you know, histologic cancer types, whether it be lung cancer, breast cancer, ovarian cancer, were looked at individually. And the amount of uh, within uh, tumor heterogeneity was very, very profound. And the methodology to fractionate and understand these differences is developing fast with the diagnostic industry working every day on this. So what you have is a tremendous amount of better understanding, which will enable a really precision medicine and personalized care. And, and that's essentially what's needed. Who responds to therapy? Who doesn't? A standard therapy or who responds to targeted therapy? Some of which have the targets and they don't respond. And often between the genomics and now proteomics, microRNAs, liquid biopsies, 
you're able, as long as these samples have been collected and are stored adequately, you're able to understand on an individual cancer basis within a specific cancer target organ who would benefit from what therapy. That's very valuable for precision medicine. Indeed. And that has been the dream and goal of precision medicine from the start, maybe a couple of decades ago, hasn't it? For sure. And I think it's accelerating. I think the pace is accelerating. The fourth recommendation was the generation of human tumor atlases. And I'm going to quote from the recommendation here for adult and pediatric cancers that map the evolution of human tumors by documenting the genetic lesions, molecular pathways, and cellular interactions that guide tumor development. End of quote. Again, generation of human tumor atlases. So, Gary, have you seen any progress on this recommendation? Yes, I think the atlas is uh, success is, is quite profound. I think. The Blue Ribbon Panel thought that this effort would deliver for the first time a comprehensive view of the diversity of how cancer works, how they develop, how they're influenced by microenvironment, immune factors, how they change over time in response to therapy and in diverse populations. So I think some new insights from the atlases have been really realize that you're able to look at any point in the evolution of the tumor. And, and incidentally, you know, uh, a tumor is often found at best at a cubic centimeter. That's a billion cells. So you have a lot of diversity already and you have a lot of individual variation. So these tools, not the least of which I've mentioned, I think there were 12 awards for the Atlas. I think half of them went to uh, later stage cancer, and half of them went to precancer. So you're going to have a, an opportunity to understand early disease where uh, these early genetic lesions and other factors you can measure are going on. And uh, there's, I think, an announcement in a data coordinating center, which I think is either up and running or just starting. So they're going to aggregate the, all the data from these 12 or so uh, centers. And they're looking at breast and colon and, and lung and a lot of the, the big cancer killers. So this data underlying all these atlases will be available on a human tumor atlas data portal fairly soon. And there are some publications already from Atlas evidencing the cooperativity of all the networks, and there's certainly more coming for sure. Finally, Gary, going back to the big picture, the cancer moonshot. In your view, and you're a long-term insider at the National Cancer Institute, does the progress made since 2016 truly paved the way for the very ambitious goals set by the White House this year, specifically to reduce the death rate from cancer by at least 50% over the next quarter century? I think the short answer is yes. I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna or too optimistic, but the pace of knowledge is accelerating. Thanks to the progress in data that's allowing faster decisions, and these decisions are being taken in and available for review by FDA, the insurers, the advocacy organizations, pharma and biotech and diagnostic companies. And this is actionable data because it's granular and, and understandable. And I'm especially encouraged by the amount of individual data, which will, as we said, enable precision medicine. And I can't say enough about the value of TCGA, which followed the Genome Project, which basically took cancers by histologic type and, and had a finite number to look at the diversity if a lung cancer is not a lung cancer. And we know that from the therapy results, but you're getting an understanding of why that is. And you're getting a fractionation of the data into smaller piles that will enable precision medicine. 
And also with this, you're really getting better understanding of people that are developing drugs and diagnostics as to what their high priority items should be. Uh, I would say yes, uh, the long answer. And the short answer is yes, 50% reduction in cancer death over 25 years is, I, I, my view is very, very doable. It may be better than that. It may be sooner than that. Gary, do you happen to know if the death rate from cancer has declined in the last 10 years or indeed in the last six years since the cancer moonshot was launched? Well, I think it goes target organ by target organ, and I'm certainly not the final authority on this. I do know that the screening in finding early disease is leading to aggregate reduction in, in death from cancer. Certainly, I think, as I recall, I think half of the women now are getting screening mammography. Many, many folks are getting colonoscopy. So I would say the trend is good. And of course, you have to look at the effectiveness of the screening versus what you're doing for people and, and their disease, suffering and death from cancer. And uh, I think you have the right people and a lot of smart people working on this right now. Well, thank you, Gary, very much. Those are all my questions for today. Appreciate your sharing this look back and looking in your crystal ball to the future. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alberto, for your efforts on this in terms of publicizing this. And we certainly appreciate your involvement on this. Thank you very much. For DIA Global Forum, I am Alberto Grignol. To learn more about this topic, visit us online at diaglobal.org.